Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we get to look at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, specifically the Luke text, and that is St. Luke chapter 10, 1 through 20. And there's a lot to talk about, especially in, in 20 verses. And it's an, actually a well-known story, but it shows up in, I believe, a couple of the other, other synoptic gospels, and it's the sending of the 72. And this is the general disciples. It's not the 12. It's not the inner circle. It's uh, the others who have been following Jesus, who have been learning from Jesus, and Jesus sends them out to preach, to proclaim, to do miracles. And it kind of picks up right on what he's been doing yes. throughout the Gospel of Luke, Where, and we've mentioned this on past podcasts, say that five times fast, <laughs> where um, Jesus is really conducting this ministry of preaching, teaching, and then healing as well. And so, um, you know, it, it kind of gets to this point where <laughs> not that Jesus needs help with anything, right. but he's going to commission his followers to continue this ministry that he's already started here in the Gospel of Luke. So we don't know this, but Jesus is teaching, preaching, miracles, healing, and everybody's watching. There's uh, he has he's infamous when he shows up. People want to see the works, and I'm sure there, there's people very curious to hear what he is saying. He's something different. He's proclaiming the fulfillment of the law, which is different than what the Pharisees are preaching, so on and so forth. So he's carrying a lot of interesting excitement. But at any time, and just your your opinion, do you think the disciples? the 12, let it be the inner circle, the outer circle, or even the 72, do you ever thought they looked at Jesus and thought, oh, if only I could do that? Do you know what I could do to help? I, you know, because I don't think he was uh, grooming them for this ministry. I don't think he was doing anything like, okay, I'm doing all of this so I can show you that you too could do it. Because he comes to make right what's wrong. He's fixing our sinful nature, our, our corrupted world. And I, at no time do I see him, okay, I'm going to show you how to do miracles. Step one, step two. He just does it, uh, you know, for, for everybody to see, anybody to see. Um, even when he goes to be uh, on trial, he says, I've been preaching this for three years, all my ministry, and now you have a problem, you know. Yeah, it ain't uh, no secret what I've been doing. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't also seem like he's been trying to build an entourage or followers in the sense of uh, making clones of himself so that they will do that. So again, do you think that the disciples have been looking and waiting? When, when do I get to do this? How do I get to do this? You're just you're just picturing them all sitting there thinking, put me in, coach. Yes, exactly. Um, 
There might be some of that. I've never thought about that, right. to be honest with you. But I think it's it's more of um, they're just kind of witnessing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of liken it to, you know, a little kid. Uh, and when you grow up, you're watching your parents do things. Right. And then just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say instinctively, but I don't have a better word for it. Right. Just from seeing your parents do things, then you kind of just imitate them and and do the same things. So when they're sent out here, when they're commissioned to go and and preach, tell people the good news, and and even heal people, as we see in this text, I think they just kind of do what they've seen Jesus do. I don't think, as you mentioned, I don't think, you know, they sat down with the whiteboard and Jesus is like, (laughs) step one to cast out a demon, and they go through the whole lesson plan. I think they've just seen him do these things, and so they've kind of picked up on it naturally that way. I really appreciate that, because I I think going off on that, we hear, um, this is just verse two, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way before, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. Carry no money bags, knapsack, no sandals. Go unprepared for the mission I am giving you. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to preach the proclamation of the gospel. You're going to forgive sins. You're going to do all these great and mighty things in my name. And oh, by the way, you have to trust everybody that you come in contact, that they will clothe you, feed you, and shelter you. And on top of that, you're going to be rejected. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set you up for failure. Hope it works out. Go for it. I think that's huge, uh, but I really appreciated how you you actually set this up. They've seen Jesus do this. They've seen him rejected. Mm-hmm. They've seen him face the challenges of not only rejection of the Son of God coming to reveal and relieve uh, sin and death, but then he's also they have also seen him heal. They've also seen him preach and so on and so forth. And so he really does set it up. Go and do what I've done, but do it in my name. And what's happened to me is going to happen to you. And you kind of mentioned there that they're going, they're being sent unprepared. Uh, And I like that. I agree with that mostly. Okay. But I, because I want to say that they're prepared in the way that they've been with Jesus. They've heard the word. And so in that way, it's like, they don't know they're prepared. Right, and I kind of think it's kind of like, you know, for my my situation, it's kind of like when you go on vicarage, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk to your classmates, and there's call day, and all your classmates are like, "Oh, are you ready to go on vicarage?" <laughs> and everyone always is like, "No," <laughs> yeah. because you never feel prepared. You never feel prepared enough right. to go out in into the the work of ministry, mm-hmm. into the harvest, as we have here. I don't think you ever really feel prepared enough because you know the task that lies ahead of you, and then you start thinking about, okay, well, what if I mess it up? And so in that way, they're they're not really prepared, mm-hmm. but they are kind of prepared because Jesus is sending them. Right. And so it's not like he's setting them up for failure. He knows what's going to happen if he sends them out. And so in that way, it removes them and their abilities and their trust in themselves from the situation, and they have to rely on Jesus' word. preaching his word, using his name to heal and cast out demons and all of that. And so in that way, they're unprepared because none of the work they're doing is on their own. 
So I, I can't agree with you more. And when I said they were uh, sent out unprepared, it is all the things that you would normally do to prepare for a trip. You're going to put gas in the vehicle. You're going to make sure your tires are rotated. You're going to make sure that you have enough clean underwear for every day, so on and so forth. And Jesus says, nope, just go. It's all good. Yeah. Get in your car with empty. I, I got you. In that way, there are no provisions, right? Uh, you know, no hotel reservations or anything like that. And so to get in the mindset of these disciples that are being sent, there's a lot of faith involved. Yes. Here, that they're they're really kind of stepping out on a limb and they're they're having to rely on the hospitality of others. And they're even told, not everyone is gonna like you. Yeah. <laughs> and most of us would hear that and it's like, oh, okay, well that sounds exciting. Um <laughs> But that's that's what they're called to do. That's what they're sent to do. Absolutely. And this is uh, picking up on uh, verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. I think that's an interesting, uh, well, uh, do not go from house to house. And I, I think that's an interesting statement because Jesus understands he's dealing with people. He's dealing with humans. Uh, you enter a house and the, the peace rests. Stay there. Don't go looking for a better house, a better food, a better whatever. You go to where you've been sent and be happy there, be content there, because of the work of God will take place there. And again, as, as you said, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to receive this peace you bring. And I think that's where this, uh, if a son of peace is there, um, because I, I kind of take that as someone who's willing to listen, <laughs> someone who's who's willing to sit down and listen to you share the gospel. I, that is that kind of yeah. my off there. So if this if there's someone there willing to listen to to receive the gospel in their home, hmm. okay, that that's a good place. Right. And that's where you share the peace of Christ mm -hmm. with them and see what happens, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's not, well, these people are really nice, but the bed they gave us is kind of uncomfortable, so we should probably hit the road and right. find a nicer house to preach in. So it's it's very much uh again, kind of removing them and their desires from what they're sent to do. And I really appreciate that statement because that's hard. And again, uh, Jesus removes that on a level that I, I think is just so interesting because, again, how do you prepare for a trip? Just the essentials, just the normal things. And he's saying, no, I have you. In fact, when you go, just be with the people. Just be, and well, what about the nicer house? They, you know, or whatever. So I, I do appreciate that you keep bringing that up. I can't move past this verse without kind of making a personal note that Go I really, it. I really like the eat and drink whatever they provide. Yeah. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been here at Holy Cross and someone will bring in donuts. Yes. Or a student would have a birthday and they come around with cupcakes. And <laughs> so it's a it's it's good to know that I have Jesus clearance yeah. to eat and drink whatever people provide yeah. <laughs> as we kind of hang out in the office and and try to carry out some ministry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and again with that though, it's it's fellowship, it's connectedness, it's. The, the life that you get to participate with these people. And uh, that's exactly who Jesus sends the disciples to, other people. But it, it gets worse. 
Um, so you're to heal the sick. Uh, you're say you're to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And I, I love that statement because that means Jesus is there. Jesus is coming, and they are to point to Jesus and the fact that what Jesus brings, the promise of salvation, the kingdom of God. But and this is verse ten. But whatever, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go it into its streets and say. Even the dust of that of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. I think that's a huge statement because uh, in this day and age, we would just brush it off. They didn't accept it. They don't like it. I'm not to deal with them. I'm just to move on. I'm not to point out their sins. I'm not to point out how bad it is. I'm not to point out what they're missing out. Just well, I won't tell them anymore. I won't deal with them. Um, and I don't know if it's avoidance or, um, you know, the whole idea of just enough is enough. But Jesus tells them to tell them the kingdom of God has come to you, has come near to you, and you have said no. In fact, it is so great. We're removing the dust of your streets from our feet. And that's a, a huge statement that we want nothing from you because you have received nothing from us. And with that, uh, you know, I mean, that that's a very public yes. <laughs> rejection of, of that town or those people. And all of that is to say that, you know, <laughs> they may not see it right away, but they got something coming for them, yep. and that is the judgment of God. So that that's kind of the the sternness, the the reality of the situation here. When people reject the gospel, you don't get off scot free. Right. Um, there's there's a judgment that's coming, and so that's very made very clear in in really this you know symbolic move of mm-hmm. going out and saying we don't want anything to do with you. But it, it's pointing out the sin you've rejected. But this is what you've rejected. It's not, oh, you guys are bad. Sucks to be you. The kingdom of God has come, and you've said no. Mm-hmm. And we're cutting you out. We're cutting you from us. And this isn't a final judgment. This is this is what you've asked for. This is what you get. And I always think that's really interesting because, again, um, I, I always hear when we talk about uh, God and the promise of forgiveness— or if you know Jesus, you have salvation. Without fail, I always get the question, what about that guy that's on the deserted island who never had a chance? And I always ask, how did the guy get on the island? How, you know, so on and so forth. Um, We have a merciful God who does find ways to do what he promises to do. And it's not for us to worry about. God is the judge. God is the one who brings judgment according to his grace, his mercy, But here in this situation, the voice of God and the gift of the message have been given and proclaimed to these people, and they've said no. And this is scary, and I really wish I could see the way Jesus is telling the disciples this. Does he drop his voice and become more serious to bring the gravity of what they are being sent to do? Because it's not just... Hey, guys, you know those really neat things that I do? You get to do them too. Go have fun. But it really shows the bigness, those healings, those uh, exorcisms, even the teaching. That brings the kingdom of God and salvation to the very people I'm sending you to. 
Mm-hmm. Those are, are good things. But the ultimate thing is the promise of forever. And we can't say that enough. And I like this uh, this piece of instruction because sometimes when, when people are so far um, – they're missing the mark by mm-hmm. so much, and in this in this case, it would be rejecting yeah. Jesus. Sometimes, when you're so far off the mark that you need a wake up call yeah. of some kind, and so the, kind of this public display of rejection mm-hmm. and that message there. Um, nevertheless, know this: the kingdom of God has come near. Yeah. It's. I mean, even if there's just one person in that town that sees these disciples do that and go and goes. Maybe we should have listened. To them. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really giving the law and and all of that in an attempt to point them to the gospel. Well, and then um, picking up with voice uh, verse twelve, and this is Jesus talking to the seventy two who he's sending out. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And we all know what hap- happened to Sodom, and we know why it happened to Sodom. Uh, not only were they living a debaucherous life, but they were living a life rejecting God and all that he has. And it was wiped out. It was burned off the face of the earth. And God in Jesus is saying, it's going to be worse for the town that rejects me through you than Sodom. Again, that's that's scary. So why do you think the judgment for these towns where Jesus' disciples are being sent will be harsher than these? I mean, if you go back and read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they were not pleasant people. No. Why is the judgment harsher um, for these people, these towns that have rejected Jesus' disciples? What do you think is going on there? So I really appreciate that question because it's— easy to paint God in the, the, this judgmental, um, fickle thing. I don't let you reject me. I reject you. Uh, these are the very people that should be receiving the message of God. God is sending the 72 to those who should be primed and ready to hear this gospel. They are being sent to their fellow Jews. They should accept this message. They've been waiting for a Messiah. Exactly. And uh, so it's huge. And for them to reject, it's to reject their history. It's to reject their scriptural, biblical worldview. Now they're not seeing who Jesus is for whatever reason. But this forsaking, this judgment is worse because these are God's people, the people uh, that— um, John 1, he was sent to his own, and his own did not receive him. This is what that is fulfilling and talking about. So again, that's huge because they should. And I like what you said. They've been waiting for the Messiah, and he shows up, and they say, no. It's not like they're going to unbelievers who actually don't know. And that that's a teaching opportunity. That's a, a proclamation opportunity. That, that's true mission. He's going to his own, and they're saying no. That's huge. That's scary. And really, in a, in a in the true sense, it's, it's very tragic because yeah. these are the people, as you said, who who should be awaiting this Messiah. And then when news of this Messiah comes, they don't want anything to do with him. And I I kind of like how the example they they kind of is given here is um, Jesus brings out that Sodom, uh, the city of Sodom, it, the judgment for these people will be less bearable than Sodom, and it, it's pointing back to the Old Testament. So it's it's kind of something that the people of the day, especially Jewish people of the day, mm-hmm. 
would recognize and understand. Well, not only that, though, I, I think it's, it's really, um, this is how bad you are. You're worse than these guys. Mm-hmm. And they would know their Bible. They would know their their history. And that's, that's a huge gut punch. Well, uh, continuing, um, Jesus, again, talking to uh, the 72, Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, and those are pagan towns and cities, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And there's proof to this. Nineveh. Nineveh is close to these places. And what did they do when the prophet Jonah uh, gave the horrible sermon? I, I swear he walked in and just whispered, repent for the kingdom of God's coming. And the whole town repented and king down. Um, but it will be more bearable in the in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. For you, Capernaum, will, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. And again, just the, the hugeness of this. And I, I can't imagine the disciples hearing this. You know, do, do they whisper to one another, wow, this guy really means judgment. I mean, that, that's some heavy stuff. That, and if you remember earlier in Luke, Capernaum is where one of the places where Jesus is outright rejected. Yes. Uh, he, uh, they, they try to stone him or throw him. I think they try to push him off the cliff. Oh, yeah. I think. Well, one of the ways they try to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> when there are that many attempts, it's hard to keep track of him. Um, but with this, it kind of brings out the point that, you know, those who are, um, Jesus is revealed to uh, most obviously. And if those are the people who reject him, it's, it's almost like, <laughs> and I kind of hesitate to say this because it sounds funny, but it's almost like they're guilty to a a a deeper degree mm-hmm. because Jesus is right there. Yeah. I mean, it's not some abstract thing anymore. Jesus is right there, and they're still rejecting him. No, I, I think that's interesting, and, and it's it's hard to wrap my brain around. And I would like to think that if Jesus walked in the door, it would be like, hey, Jesus is here. Everything works out. I have no idea, and, and it's hard to think. Um so then we go into verse 16. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That is a huge statement. You got the Trinity at work here, but then you also have the office of the ministry working, and who's behind the proclamation? Who is actually doing the miracles? Uh, I always like asking the, the youth catechumens, who does the baptism? And, you know, of course, the, the pastor's standing there, and some say the pastor, some say God. And it's always, yes, by the power of God. And it, it's neat, because who's doing the verbs? Who's the actual authority in all of this? Uh, then verse 17, and this is the, the fun. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And that last statement is huge because notice they don't go out to Jesus. Do you know what I did? Do you know how many demons I cast out? They put themselves in subject to the name that they've been sent out to. And that's huge. That's great. And that's exactly what we want to hear from the disciples, the apostles, uh, and pastors. Who are they preaching? Whose name are they preaching? 
whose name are they doing all the work? I wonder, just because I'm a curious person, I wonder if there was any trial and error with this. Like these 72 (laughs) go out and they encounter like a demon-possessed man Mm -hmm. and then they try to cast out the demon in their own name and that didn't work or something. And then they're like, okay, let's try Jesus's name. That always worked for him in the name of Jesus. And then it works and they're like, oh, that's how you do it. I'm just wondering if that ever happened. (laughs) I I, I think you're on to something. Because again, they, they saw what Jesus did and they're connecting themselves to that. What did they do, and how did they do it? And I do think that there's some trial and error, but at the same time, they were also led by the Holy Spirit. And okay, fine. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure there was some frustration. I'm gonna have to change my movie rendition of this text. <laughs> but then, um, um, Jesus again comes in. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I want to be very specific about this. When Jesus says nothing will hurt you, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about uh, the Romans text that uh, St. Paul, uh, Romans 8, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing will take you out from God. Can we get hurt? Yes. Just because we're baptized doesn't mean we're bulletproof. Uh, It doesn't mean that we won't get sick and so on and so forth. Um, We still live in a corrupt world with corrupt bodies, but we have the promise of salvation, which we get to hold on to because Jesus has given it to us. The big point that I really think is just amazing is this last verse. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, and that's the work that you have done, that the demons have listened to you. And again, I cannot imagine the ego boost, and I mean that with all respect, uh, not not arrogance. Even the demons listen to us. Because if you think about demons and angels, we we immediately put them on this level of power and magnitude beyond our, our comprehension and understanding. And the demons are subjected to these disciples in Jesus' name. But that, uh, and then Jesus says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Vicar, before we pushed record, I I thought you said something that was really great, that um, all of this, all that Jesus does in and with the 72 is true kingdom building. This is truly the glory of God. And it's not just, I got more people to come to church. I got the collection plate fuller. I was able to add on. I was able to do these things. Those are good. And they should be utilized for what God has given us to do, to bring people to salvation. And again, when we say bring people to salvation, the work of God through the Holy Spirit to reveal this salvation. Jesus says, you did some great stuff. But here's the point you take home. Salvation is yours. And in that way, it's, um, you know, it kind of takes yourself out of it because um, we have been brought into the kingdom of God. We have been given faith. uh, And in our day and age, just like it was with the 72 being sent out, that comes from hearing the word. And that means somebody tells us the word. Somebody tells us about Jesus. And so it's kind of like, you know, you get to rejoice because you are uh, awaiting the kingdom of God in heaven. And then when you get there, maybe it's, you know, oh, you made it too. That's so great because you were part of that ministry, that building of the kingdom through sharing the gospel.
So I love this text because it really opens up and shows us that we actually continue to do this. We are sent out into the world as little Christ, baptized in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, to show forth who and what we are, the forgiven, loved saints, so that others may know that very forgiveness and that very love. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.